Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 338. It's our roundtable show, which we have every Friday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which you can watch live on the WP Tonic Facebook page. We've got a great panel. I'm going to let them go straight in and let them introduce themselves. And ladies first, Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Certainly, my name is Sally Getch, and <clears throat> I am the WP fan girl because I've been a fan of WordPress for a long time. I build custom sites for businesses that have been frustrated with the way their old website doesn't actually do anything for them. And I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. That's great. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress plugin for creating, selling, and protecting online courses. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. That's great. And John, would you like to introduce yourself? My name's John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design and SEO, and we help industrial companies and manufacturers with their SEO. And Jack. Oh, sorry about that, John. And Jack, would you like to introduce them? Um, I'm Jack. My company is Very Good Plugins, and we do plugin development for clients as well as ourselves. And uh, our most popular plugin is um, WP Fusion, which is also a sponsor of the show. And um, we do marketing automation technologies with WordPress. And your support is much appreciated, Jack. (laughs) I'll be plugging it effectively, hopefully. Right. So let's go straight into the stories and. Gutenberg accessibility audit postponed indefinitely. Indefinitely. So what do you think of this, Chris? Uh, to me, it just looked like, um, you know, in agile development or whatever, sometimes you have to make some cuts and it really makes the public aware of what the priorities are. So in this case, the priority is shipping it probably around just getting, moving forward to compete with the other um site building technology out there, that's the priority, not accessibility. And I think this just kind of shows that clearly. Otherwise, if accessibility was a top priority, we would wait until 2019 to ship it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily bad because, I mean, sometimes you have to make hard decisions. That's the hard thing about being a technology company. Um, And you can't always please all the people all the time. I do think accessibility is really important issue. And I, I, um, I hope WordPress continues to focus on that. And, uh, you know, the comments around it's much harder to retrofit something and make it accessible than design it with that in mind for day one. I just, I'd like to see more continued conversation around that. They, WordPress has lost the opportunity to launch it with accessibility out of the gate. But, um, you know, I'd like to see that just focus to continue to be on that issue and hopefully do better the next time in terms of making it a priority. Actually, I think that's an excellent point, Chris, that if this problem really stems from the initial, um, the initial start of the project really, didn't it? So I think that was a great point. What do you think, Sally? Um, it's, uh, I was, 
shocked uh, when I saw this, uh, which maybe I, I shouldn't have been because it seems as though the issue is that the, you know, the person who said, hey, you know, we could have a, an independent accessibility audit and, you know, <clears throat> somebody to, uh, to tell us what's really wrong, I, it was not in a, I didn't have the authority to promise that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that leads to an, an awkward situation all, all around where, you know, people were then ex expecting to get a, a certain fix for the problem and, you know, didn't. And it's also, uh, you know, it, it seems uh, like, you know, we have chosen a day that we're going to ship and we're going to ship then no matter what happens. And I, after all of this time of it will ship when it's ready, uh, that just doesn't make very much sense. Um, it, it seems, you know, especially arbitrary. And, uh, you know, I've read a, a couple of posts about, you know, people sort of hear, hearing the flap and deciding to go check it out. Well, how is it if I try to use it, you know, as a, as a keyboard uh, user? Um, and the answer is uh, pretty darn awkward, actually. Um, and so, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to skip that audit and, and rush forward. But uh, I, it appears that that's what's going to happen. And, you know, it isn't me personally that's going to be uh, affected necessarily or my clients. Uh, but I still think that, uh, you know, we'd all be better off to, to wait and do it right. Because, you know, if, if you don't have time to do it right, I'm not sure why you have time to do it over. Yeah, I think that's also an excellent point. Um, but I think I go back to what Chris said. Um, it was a flawed process, a pretty flawed process, this whole project, by the way it's been handled. Um, also, this is only my opinion. If I was Matthew Mac and I would have to resign. You know, I personally would feel that I, I've lost all credibility in my public statements. Um, making such a public statement and then having to um, contract, you know, say totally the opposite, I, I would feel obligated to resign. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, John, what do you think? There's a lot of organizations such as government, educational, they require websites to be accessible to a certain point. And the way that this project is being sped through without regard to accessibility is a little concerning. Um, the very first WordCamp that I ever went to was in San Francisco in 2014. And I saw a presentation on how people with disabilities were using WordPress. And it really blew me away. And the WordPress that I see now, and I mean just like the, the, the way that this core project is being handled, it is completely polar opposite to, you know, how I saw WordPress being used back then, you know, four years ago. I want to focus in on just like one thing that, that, was written here in this article um, where it says, while Twitter's court of public opinion cannot answer 
the question of whether or not Gutenberg is accessible, an independent audit would give contributors a good shot at resolving the most critical issues. Uh, just the whole dismissive tone of, uh, you know, people who are asking for this project to be accessible, like what they, what, what WordPress has stood for up till now, and now it's the court of public opinion on Twitter. It's, it's, it's really uh, shooting themselves in the foot in, in every way possible. Oh, thanks for that, John. Uh, what do you think, Jack? Um, I mean, it is unfortunate, but I kind of agree with Chris that at some point with a project like this, you have to set a release date and then meet it regardless. I do kind of wonder, especially since it's supposed to be an independent group that's doing the audit, why couldn't an audit begin now, even if the changes couldn't be implemented in time for release? And that would give the community some kind of at least sense that it's a priority item and maybe it won't get into 5.0, but it, it's being looked at and it, maybe we could even have an assessment out um, by 5.0 without any implementation yet. But um, that's not what they're doing. So I guess we just have to deal with it. Um, but then on the other side, like, I mean, I've worked on projects that require or that have end users uh, with disabilities using the admin and the, the people I've worked with on those projects are not just going to install um, Gutenberg and let the clients deal with it. Like these are heavily managed projects. We test every plugin we install for accessibility. So I don't think that when the release comes out, it's just going to break a bunch of people's experiences. I think whoever's developing and managing those sites is going to check over everything, test it with their clients, and then install Gutenberg if necessary. And if you're building a site from scratch, um, you would probably just wait until Gutenberg has been tested for accessibility before you enable that. So I, I think it's good to be upset about it because obviously it's been mishandled on their end, but I don't know what the real world impact is going to be. Well, I, I think you're right. If it's an institution or, or something like that, that has, yeah. you know, uh, <clears throat> various kinds of, of compliance issues and, and people in charge of it. But I presume there are plenty of disabled people in one way or another who have, you know, uh, personal blogs or, or, you know, websites they use for another reason. And they may not be uh, all that uh, technically savvy or on top of, of, you know, what's happening. And, you know, we know there are a lot of people out there who, you know, unlike us have, have never heard about Gutenberg and to whom it is going to be a bit of a surprise. That's a good uh, point. Yeah. That, that would be a very unpleasant surprise. And, you know, maybe uh, there isn't, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, life and death uh, hanging on the, uh, whether you can publish on your blog, but it still seems, uh, very unfortunate. I mean, I, I saw something recently, uh, an article about basically, like, when is it the disabled person's uh, job to uh, figure out that they need to install additional software to use your product or, you know, to use some other tool out there that they may or, or may not be familiar with? And the answer is never. Um, yeah, or I mean, I would even say, even if it was tested for accessibility, it's a bit unfair to completely change around the whole editing interface for somebody who may have been using their website for several years and has no issue with it. Um, that's why like, I've always said it would have been nice if Gutenberg remained an option or was even the default for new sites, but wasn't that new editor wasn't forced on people who are already used to doing things in an existing way. But Yeah, I think you've all made excellent point. Uh, I think... <clears throat> I think I go back to Chris's point because I think Chris really hit it on the nail. Um, you, 
that this is a sign of, you know, pro- projects normally have endings like their beginnings. They're a bit like relationships in general based on my experience. They have endings very similar to their beginnings, uh, um, if you understand what I mean. And But I think, you know, the core technology react, you know, that wasn't decided on until... Um, time flies so quick. Was it about six months ago or something? There was still longer than that. It was longer than that, was it? Time, yeah. But that was in a flux for a while, even what the core technology was going to be used. So... I think these are all kind of signs of a, a flawed process from the beginning, really. But that's just my my view. So let's go on to story two. And um, it's Ticketmaster buys blockchain company to guard against ticket fraud. Um, the reason why I found this interesting is, is that um, basically I've struggled to find a real use for blockchain. <laughs> it's a bit like artificial intelligence. It seems to have been the buzzword of the, of the past two years, um, with a lot of people making a lot of money from it. Uh, um, but to me, I've found no real understanding of where we're going to really use this technology in reality. And I think we just found one. What do you think, Jack? Um, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's actually valuable for their particular um, use case they're talking about here. I don't know. It's, you see people using blockchain everywhere for, I mean, well, for everything, I guess you could use it for any kind of transaction that needs to be validated. I saw this and kind of thought this might be a case of blockchain is cool right now. Let's um, buy up a blockchain company and increase our share price by what did Kodak do? Kodak jumped like 20% in share prices when they bought some blockchain company. Oh, right. So do you think, do you think I, I should buy one? You should, yeah. Your yeah, share right. prices will go right up. <laughs> and I mean, Ticketmaster is kind of CD anyway. Um, I could definitely see them just doing this to increase their valuation and not having any intention of implementing it. So you just think it was just a cynical PR ploy? That's it's how I see it. Been a bit of a pickle lately. Yeah. Shady yeah. Um, deals in the, in the corners of the stadium. And uh, they were always complaining. Then it, then it was found out that they were a sponsor of these people. Uh, yeah. It's quite hilarious, really. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, Ticketmaster is going to do anything that they can to protect the money. Uh, and in uh, what will be a theme later in this show, they, they are kind of a monopoly when it comes to selling tickets to concerts or events uh, and the markup on, on some of these is terrible. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they will find a way to prevent fraud uh, by using blockchain maybe they're just using it for valuation. Who knows, but you know, they're going to protect their money any way that they can. So. Uh, what do you reckon, Chris? Am I being cynical or I'm still trying to have somebody explain what, you know, in a plausible argument to me, how blockchain's really going to help their business. You know, I, I, I really don't get it. Oh, you're moot, Chris. I'm with you. I'm still trying to wrap my head around blockchain and the value there. Um, but what I did find interesting about this article was that they also had a PR issue they're still recovering from, from recruiting professional scalper, scalpers for ticket sales. And I just wanted to say, I actually like that strategy of... <laughs> Um, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we're going to be seeing <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're saying? 
I'm just America. saying it's, um, there's nothing wrong in a business with ta- helping somebody move from the dark side to the light side and use the same skill set. I mean, in the book Freakonomics, we learn, you can learn a lot about business by just by studying the most successful drug dealer kingpins and gangsters. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a counterintuitive idea that um, I, I actually applaud them for doing that as long as what they're doing with those scalpers is, is now white hat or ethical. But I can see how that would be perceived as totally a bad thing. Well, what I'm going to say, folks, is if you owe Chris some money, be a bit careful. (laughs) 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 Um, Sally, what do you reckon? Uh, Well, I think a lot of it probably is that blockchain is flavor of the month. Um, But uh, because everybody seems to want to use it for everything, and uh, there are a lot of cases uh, where you probably don't, um, you know, the idea that I've seen that it intrigues people is sort of is that idea of authenticating something that, you know, you, you register a thing as this is the original and then, you know, it's, it's, it's like the ultimate version of your canonical URL, right? You could say, no, see, this was, this was ours and you stole it. Um, but there are uh, all kinds of issues with it. My husband was just telling me that the, you know, there had been a, bunch of uh, graphics cards, I think it, it was, that were super expensive because everybody was using them to mine Bitcoins. Uh, and then, uh, but what they found was that, it, you know, as you move on through that uh, Bitcoin mining thing, it gets harder and harder and harder to make any money. And so a bunch of people had decided to like move on to the next get rich quick scheme. And now the market was flooded with these, uh, with these chips. Um, and NVIDIA, that, who makes the chips, was, you know, and they had been happily cashing in on... on well, maybe they should buy a Bitcoin, a bit, uh, a bit chain company. Maybe they should buy one. Oh, right. And, uh, uh, you know, all, all of a sudden nobody is, is buying their stuff. Uh, and it's like they somehow don't seem to have predicted that that was going to eventually happen. It's very linked to our conversation last week about artificial intelligence. These two things, Bitcoin and BitChain, whatever, and artificial intelligence, I, I put them in the same camp, actually, a bit iffy at best. But they they really seem to be the real buzzwords of our age, really. All right, on to the next story. Yes, well, th- think about a few years ago when everybody was like, oh, I need to add some viral to that video. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, viral. Yeah, bit of pixie dust, yeah. Uh, um, right, on to the next story. ACF 5.8 beta introduces block features release slated for November. What do you reckon about this one, Jack? This is really cool. Um, when I first tried out a demo of Gutenberg, I really didn't get it because most of the sites I build, we don't even use the post editor. It's just ACF boxes. And that lets me say, okay, the client's allowed to change this, this, and this, but all the style and stuff is controlled by the templates. But um, I just, I got that article from you and I downloaded um, the 5.8 beta and tried it out. And it's really pretty neat. Um, I made a couple blocks super easily. And then you can customize the content of what should be in the block right there in the editor, and then you can see it in real time on the page. So, I mean, they said um, it's going to be one of the most important features ever added to the plugin. I, I think I'd agree with that. It's, it's a pretty pretty big game changer. And it makes me, it's probably the first time I would consider building a new project 
with Gutenberg instead of going back to the default editor um, with this available. It is a bit buggy. Um, it didn't save stuff correctly. I had to tweak it around a little bit, but I, I can see where they're going with it. It's pretty cool. That's great. What do you reckon, Sally? I read something that, that said basically, you know, strug struggled for ages to, to learn React and, and figure out how to do this, you know, did it in less than an hour with, with the, the ACF beta. And yeah, I mean, I'm not the only person who was excited to see they were going to be uh, coming out with, you know, a, a simple way to register new blocks in, in PHP. Um, so I am uh, looking forward to it. I haven't had a chance to test it yet, but I think that will make the transition easier for a lot of developers. What do you reckon, John? I think that when people write the history of WordPress, I think that ACF adopting the features that they have, the, the compatibility and, and the ease of use features for Gutenberg are going to be a, a, an important turning point in, in the success of, of the later stage of, of WordPress. I really feel that the ACF is doing what Gutenberg should be doing. Um, it's still buggy, but I, I kind of feel that for a lot of shops, a lot of places that build themes, because I build themes with ACF too, I feel that this is going to save, you know, is going to keep people on the WordPress platform, basically. So, yeah, I think you're spot on. Got any comments on this, Chris? I know you're not a coder, so it's not really your, but you might have some words of wisdom. Uh, it just seems emblematic of the WordPress community helping each other. I've I've heard this thing where people need to get a lot better at JavaScript and the, as developers, and to have somebody kind of build a bridge to help ease the transition. I just admire that as a community element. Yeah, I'll make sure the money I owe you, Chris, I'm going to be paying it tomorrow. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry, Chris. Uh, right, you uh, just need to hire some scalpers and figure out how yeah, to forward that particular. Before we go for a break, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, and that's Kinster Hosting. And um, Kinster Hosting hosts the WP Tonic website and some of my client sites, and they're just fantastic. A great company to work with and I've had some great news they've decided to be uh, my major sponsor in 2019 as well folks so that's I'm really delighted about that news um, what did you get with Kinster well you get all these swings and roundabouts as a developer um, supporting your client sites that you would love um, staging site um, one click backup um, you, you can choose what version of PHP that you want the site to run on. Um, super fast servers. And what is really delightful is their technical support. You get somebody that really knows their stuff and you're not passed, have to be passed on to somebody else with a delay. They can normally answer all your questions. They're just a fantastic company to work with. So go to the WP Tonic website. There's affiliate links on the site. You'll be helping the show as well if you use one of those. Or go to thekinster.com and find out more about their great hosting packages. I can't recommend them more highly. So we're going to go for our break and we'll be back in a few moments, folks. 
Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back and we've been getting through these stories. And, I, and I'll be impressed with the words of wisdom from the panel. Um, and they're not being too nasty to me. Maybe that's because Spencer's not here. I don't know. There we go. Uh, um, so on to the next story. Um, Gmail ads, like ad- add-ons, um, like Dropbox, can can now be easily assessed while writing emails. So um, basically, the reason why I introduced this story is that I, um, even though I use Google um Drive, I still use my Dropbox account because I just find it much easier, the interface and sharing files much better than Google's product. And they're in direct competition in a way. So it was surprising. Google's not known to be that likable to its opposition. So it was interesting that they've chosen to allow Dropbox to integrate with Gmail. What what do you think, Sally? Well, I... I was a little surprised about that um, <clears throat> uh, myself. I didn't realize there were any, you know, existing integrations for those things. But uh, although I use Google Apps for my mail, I don't actually use Gmail. So it's, you know, not very interesting. But it, it will be interesting to see whether that's a signal of more kind of interoperability stuff um, coming down the pike. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, but something to keep an eye out for. What do you reckon, Chris? It just reminds me of more kind of WordPress, open source community, ecosystem-minded behavior to, you know, let other companies kind of collaborate in the tools, which, you know, it's a little bit counterintuitive. You don't always see that in the, uh, you know, in the proprietary space. So to me, it just it looks interesting. Like the interoperability that Sally's mentioning would be great. And it's bold for, I think, Google to take a, to do that, especially with a competitor. But I do think that's the right move because at the end they of the probably day... Just want, it, they probably just want to see what data people are sharing so they get more data points. Well, maybe. But, you know, Microsoft just open-sourced all their stuff except for um, Windows and Office. Yeah, that's true. What, what do you reckon, Jack? Um, I mean, it, it looks nice. And I do agree. I like the idea of more interoperability. I... I mean, it's almost kind of trying to keep you more in your Gmail. I don't really use email that much. Like they say, well, yeah, it'd be better to route all your Trello tasks into Gmail and reply to them from well, there. Well, you've been using I, it a lot more since you've got to know me, haven't you? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I get, that's, I, I get emails from you and family members, but I might get one or two emails a day. I try to keep Trello in Trello. I keep all my work in Slack. So I almost wonder if it's Google trying to um, sort of say, you don't have to use these outside products now. You can route everything through email and then that maybe they can keep track of what you're doing and monetize it. I'm not sure. But I mean, it's, it's good. It's a step in the right direction. I just don't see myself using any integrations they have right now. Right. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that 
they might be doing it to keep you more in your Gmail, but also there might be some way that they're seeing data points. I, I don't know. But uh, overall, I, I, I'm not completely sold on this new Gmail. It seems like load, at least for me, it seems like load a little bit slower than the, uh, the legacy Gmail. It's okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're obviously trying to keep you in your Gmail longer so you don't have to, you know, bounce out of it. So I do like the predictive typing. Have you run across that? I have. Um, yeah, I've, some, I've actually saved quite a bit of time with that. <laughs> yeah, Chris likes it too. Right. Um, on to a next story. Um, 2018 search market share myths versus realities of Google, Bing, Amazon, Facebook, and DuckDuckGo, and more. And this is from um, Rand Fishman's um, own blog. And I, I, I like, you know, he's been a guest on the show. He's a great guy. Um, always read his blog when I get a spare moment. And I thought this was quite an um, interesting little article. What did you think, John? Yeah, I thought it was uh, really excellent. And for for those who didn't see it, you know, it dispels some of the myths that are, are around Google. Like one, one of them that 65% of web searches happen on Google. It's actually closer to 90. Wow. Because 20, and the one thing that I didn't know um, or didn't realize was that Google Images is actually 21% of all searches. I did not realize it was that heavy on the image search. It's crazy. It's just crazy, isn't it? Oh, most definitely. Um, so if, if you count image, Google Images and then regular Google search and YouTube is three different search engines, it's Google Images and then YouTube and then everybody else. DuckDuckGo Duck, Duck seems to be the only player like actually increasing market share, but they're still like pretty tiny. So... Yeah, yep. interesting. Yeah. It was, what do you reckon, Chris? Gather uh, any I've, wisdom from this article? I've heard myself and shared for almost a decade now that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. And so now I know that's not correct. So like John mentioned, images, Google images actually come before YouTube. And I'm a, I'm a really video guy, pro video. I think video is eating the internet and everything like that. I use a lot more YouTube than Google image search personally. But to me, it's a fascinating thing to think about. Why? What? What are people searching for? Why? Can you type why they are using? Am I? Am I not seeing the obvious? Because I'm. My behavior is very similar to yours. So I was a little bit shocked. But I've had a couple of clients that I got. Once I got annoyed, but they seem to be obsessed with image. You know, finding themselves high in the ranking of uh, images. Well, images of people, like if I'm writing a blog post or something, I need an image. I mean, I'll, I'll do an image search, but I'll spend way more time on video. So I'm just curious, like, what is this whole image craze? Maybe the... Um, Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, aren't you? Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, but Don't it's you also, you know, it's faster to look at a picture than watch a video. And... Yeah. So sometimes you're going to say, oh, you know, that's what that thing looks like. Uh, end of question. I think if you are looking for a how-to and you 
you know, then YouTube can be a great place to go. I've had people ask, do you know how to do such and such? And, and I will say, no, but I bet there's a YouTube video that tells you and, and they'll go and look and sure enough, there'll be a YouTube video that tells them. Um, you know, I, I'm odd in the other direction. I will, you know, run a mile before breakfast to avoid watching videos. So, <clears throat> it, well, you got, you got your, you got your, um, Instant traffic. Well, I'm, I'm struggling for the right word, but you got your you got your interesting ways, ain't you, Sandy? That's why I love you. Uh, um, but they are they are Chris. Forget about the, the the copy. Forget about the training videos on your website. All you need to do, Chris, is just put a load of images up, and you'll be fine. All that effort it was wasted, Chris. All you needed was a ton of kind of images really oh, maybe I'll be sarcastic there I don't know uh, what do you reckon Jack um, well I think the biggest surprise for me was that Amazon has a search share is that is that just the product searches or do no, they have a search engine? So. Um, maybe Alexa or something no it's just product searches oh okay yeah um, but yeah I mean the image search actually makes sense to me I I use it quite a bit for oh. non-technical things. Like if I'm reading a book and they're talking about a city in Eastern Europe, I'll just go straight to Google Images because I just want to kind of get a like mental picture. Or if I'm reading about like a food that I'm interested in trying, Google Images. I, I use it multiple times a day to just, uh, like Sally said, just kind of look at a bunch of pictures on a grid, like you absorb the information faster. So that makes sense. But otherwise, yeah, it's not too surprising. I had, hadn't heard the... Um, 65% myth, but uh, I always assumed that Google was almost all searches, just looking at my um, traffic and analytics and stuff like that. So I think, John, just to finish up with this, John, is uh, what I, it kind of, I knew this really, but you still fall back into your old ways, is that the way that you use search, the way that you, you, you then think everybody else does, but it's not true, is it, John? That's the thing oh, I kind of learned from this. True. Yeah, it's not true. And and but that cuts both ways too. I mean, I've I've had clients before where they <laughs> a search on Bing because, you know, they're on a Windows machine and they just type stuff up and it's defaulted to Bing. Maybe they have it set in their settings. Uh when I very first started, I had a I had a client who only used AOL. This is a few years ago, but you know, so yeah, how you how us in this podcast use uh, search is how not how everybody else will. So, yeah. Right. And of course, if you're building something for your, you know, for a particular client, then you have to know something about how, you know, their target audience uses search and whether they are appealing to people who prefer video or prefer images or prefer text or, or prefer whatever, because, you know, they may not uh, follow the, you know, the norms that you see in, in collective statistics like this. So it might be, go oh, sorry, John. I'm going to throw this in before you go to the next story, but it might be a good idea to optimize or have, you know, content that for, you know, written for Google image, <laughs> for Google images and video for YouTube. That might be a good idea. Well, funny enough, there's been some recent articles in the kind of search engine blogs, leading ones that Google um, is going to emphasize images even more, especially when it comes to local search. And um, I'm going to make sure that in all my um, posts now, I'm going to do a video and it's going to be embedded in the post. 
because you've noticed that you do any search that they've moved up a block of three videos higher now, haven't they, John? Yep. Most searches they have, you'll notice that most searches on page one, if they don't have a map or, you know, they'll usually have a row of images and then, you know, a row of videos, top stories, but it's like videos. So yeah, they try. Yeah, to I, I often get to the image search from the regular search. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right on to, cause it's kind of linked to our, our last story, actually, despite moral and ethical, Ethical concerns. Google CEO's Sondanda, how do you pronounce it? Pical defends company's potential re-entry into China. What do you reckon about this one, Chris? I found it interesting. Uh, I do. There's a saying that power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what I what I mean by that is, just, um, I mean China is a huge market, and there's just so much opportunity for Google to make money over there that uh, I could, and then to, to have that in conflict against um, standing behind company values about free speech or, or you know, whatever the more soft uh, mission, vision, value stuff is, I think it's a great area for debate. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but, uh, and, and I'd, I'd love to see a, a China where information is free and not censored. Um, but I just, I just find it interesting. I don't, I don't have a specific opinion. I just think it's a, it's a good environment for a healthy debate to happen. I was so tactful, Chris. Um, <laughs> before, before I move on to the other, um, panelists, I want to say, um, about the Saudi Arabian government, I, I love you. Um, I would say nothing wrong about Saudi Arabia <laughs> at all. Um, it's a, you're, your human rights record is fantastic. And the kin, I just love you. And you've got no worries. I would never say anything bad about the Saudi Arabian government at all. Um, there you go, John. Uh, what did you reckon reckon about this? Yeah, I mean, this it, it's all about money. I mean, let's be real. You know, there's a lot of people that, that their ethical stance... Remember when Google's motto was don't be evil. Remember that? I chose like, when I like last year. No. It's um, longer than last year, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, here's the problem. You know, for for those who aren't familiar with the situation, Google's going into China. Uh right now they're they're not um there. I, I think it's like Badu. Baidu. I don't know how you say it, but that's like the big search engine there. It's like Google of China. But they want to come back into China, but the concession that they have to make is the Chinese government wants them to basically censor out certain searches, specifically around human rights and, and, and things of that nature. So it's censored search. And for that, they can, they can come into the market and um, I'm, I'm guessing get some of that sweet, sweet uh, AdWords money. Uh, the problem where this leads is once they make this concession to China, if that happens in any other authoritarian government or any other um, you know, place where there's human rights violations, are they going to make the same concessions there because they've already set a precedent? That, that's where the, the real dilemma comes in here. 
Um, yeah, actually, I've, um, before I pass it over to Jack, um, I actually think the situation's a lot more dark and worse. And I totally disagree with Chris's position, actually. Because um, China's introduced this um, social, I think they call it a social point system, mm-hmm. where um, you're, they're actually using um, face recognition um, technology as well. Um, and they produ- they've also produced this social score and basically, if you've got a low social score in their eyes, you can't get any flights. You you have to pay, pay higher interest on your loans, and it's kind of state run. But maybe I'm just being uh, because fundamentally, you've got, you've got a similar system in America, but instead of the government running it, the big corporations run it. <laughs> so yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm just deluding myself. Uh, what do you reckon, Jack? Um, I'm actually fine with this. <laughs> I'm going to go a little against the grain here for a couple of reasons. Go for it. I love, that's what, I love um, it. <laughs> firstly, um, somebody has to serve searches in China, and Google's very good at doing searches. Um, I don't know how exactly Baidu works currently, but I imagine that more of their content is from China, whereas Google's going to be delivering results from all around the world. And it says here, well over 99% of queries will be answered. So you're getting people, hopefully, more information than they were getting before faster. And even if you are filtering out some stuff, generally, the more people have exposure to modern ideas and just information about the world, the more liberal and open society tends to drift. So I think anything that gets more information in the hands of more people is good, and Google's good at doing that. And then my second point is that by bringing Google in, like, yes, they are restricting some things, but you're allowing a inherently liberal, progressive, open-minded um, company with democratic values to work within the society. Well, and well, which, company are, which company are you talking about? Google. I'm talking about Google. Oh, right. I mean, they're, they're engineers and that kind of thing. These are, like, generally very forward-thinking people who clearly don't like this idea of restricting search queries. If you get those kind of people starting to work alongside Chinese technicians and having those corporate values start to go into China, that's also going to do a lot of good in making those ideas more acceptable and pushing that society in a good direction. So I think it's good. (laughs) Right, fair enough. What do you reckon, Sally? Well, I, I think Jack is right that it could have some positive results. Uh, And I think John is right that it's a dangerous precedent. Uh, And, uh, you know, I don't know how good or bad a a job Baidu does in in China, but, um, you know, my sense was that it's not necessarily that the Chinese are clamoring to have uh, Google, but that Google is in a position where, you know, they can resist anything but temptation and the temptation of the enormous population of, of China it is just, you know, more than they can uh, imagine not having access to. It's really difficult because uh, it's like, like recently the Chinese government or province, they put, is it Tuyghurs? Tuyghurs are ethnic group in um, with, with the Mos- Islam as their religion, they reckon they've got over a million um, of them in re-education camps or something. But the same breath, America, in the Second World War, put 100,000-plus 
Japanese in the internment camps. So I, I, I just don't know, you know, I, I actually... What kind of I don't know that as a nation we have as nearly as much to feel morally superior about as, as we like to think. Um, but I don't think that changes... You no, know, our values no. as individuals. Yeah, I was thinking, what point was I trying to make anyway? I was going off the topic there a little bit, wasn't I? Um, so, um, so Jack, what you basically think is that um, that allowing Google in is that the Chinese are going to be um, gradually exposed to a little bit more liberal ideas anyway. Exactly. I mean, they're access to information is going to be restricted by the government no matter what happens because that's the law right now. So Google can either say, uh, no, we oppose what you're asking. We're not going to do anything and nothing will change. Or they can go in and do what they do well with some restrictions. And I think that that's the best step forward. Right. Um, I think um, I think we're going to end the show. I think Chris is walked off anyway I think he was in disgust with, uh, I don't, he's, done I don't, really. he's done a run he had enough of me anyway but um, I'm going to let the rest maybe come back in a moment we, we have to wait and see Sally how can people find out more about you and what you're up to I am at Sally Getch on Twitter my website is wpfangirl.com and you can uh, join us at the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland. Go to eastbaywp.com or search for East Bay WordPress on meetup.com. That's great. And John, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at my website, which is lockdownseo.com. Also go to YouTube, search hashtag lockdownseo. I'm posting fresh videos there every week on SEO and on 18th of November, I'm going to be speaking at uh, Sally's East Bay meetup yes. on uh, yes. yeah. how to do oh. SEO audits. Come, come check that out if you're in the Bay area. Oh, that's great. And Jack, how uh, can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at verygoodplugins.com. That's the home for everything I'm working on at the moment. And WP Fusion is a fabulous plugin, folks. You need to use it, especially when you've got your CRM of choice. It will be fantastic experience. And Chris, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, you can find me over at lifterlms.com. We have some courses there for course creators, and we actually get their uh, info over to our CRM through WP Fusion. So uh, you can experience that. And you can also find me on my podcast, LMS Cast, which is a podcast for people building membership sites and courses and online training. And I will be in person with Thomas, my business partner at WordCamp Portland, Maine on November 3rd, if anybody's in the uh, Northeast New England area. So you're letting him out of the cave. He's out. <laughs> He's out. He can He's see out. daylight. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. that's nice. People have a treat. They got him chained in some coding place. He never sees daylight, actually. Uh, um, and I just want to finish off that. I really love the Saudi Arabian government. I think their human rights <laughs> is fantastic. You know, how they how they dispose of the dissidents is with charm and consideration. I, I've been... So, that, if you're not used to my English sarcasm, listeners and viewers, you might be appalled, but I've been sarcastic there. Uh, um, but there we go. We'll see you next week where we're going to have another great panel and hopefully have another great tech discussion. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. 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 
Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.